listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, this is your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Friday, the 30th of April 2021. Later, where are the jobs in regional Australia? Plus, is there any value left in tech stocks? But first, to Indigenous businesses. And a study by the University of Melbourne says Indigenous businesses contribute $4.9 billion to the Australian economy, adding 45,000 jobs. So for more, I spoke with the university's Indigenous Business Research Group lead, Michelle Evans. So what exactly is an Indigenous business? And how do you find one? Yeah, it's really interesting question to think about, you know, what is an Indigenous business? Uh, what we're covering off in the, um, by looking and working with Indigenous business registries is they're at least 50% owned by Indigenous Australians. There are other registries, certainly Supply Nations Registry, where you need to be 51% owned by Australian Indigenous person and you can go through various verification processes to verify Indigenous identity. The Indigenous business registries we've worked with um, are the Victorian Aboriginal Business Directory, the ICN Gateway and the Office for the Registrar of Indigenous Corporations as well as Supply Nations. So they're all um, the registered Indigenous business directories. How you can find them is getting onto their website. They are directories for people to find Indigenous businesses. Um, You can search them, see what sort of industries they're working in or what sort of goods and services you might be interested to uh, follow up and engage with. You mentioned that these businesses are everywhere, but just how diverse are they? What kind of industries are they in? The, the industry spread is really interesting. Uh, 17% of the Indigenous businesses are in the construction services industry, which is uh, quite, they can be quite big businesses in that space. And we've also noticed that a lot of, uh, there is more than, I think it's over 100 or 200 businesses up in Northwestern Australia, in Northern Territory and FNQ. Uh, so these businesses are not just in major cities, but are in remote locations around Australia and regional Australia. It's, it's, it's quite interesting. But hot on the heels of construction is professional services, and that is a, a really large part of the Indigenous business sector. So 14% of the businesses on Indigenous business registries are professional services types firms. So that really gives you a flavour of the type of employment those firms are doing as well, quite different from construction services to professional services. Now, finally, why support these Indigenous businesses? And I guess it comes down to how do they contribute to the community? How does it help those businesses? But in a selfish sense as well, how does it help one's own business? It's super important for us to support our Indigenous business sector. Uh, It is still growing. It's quite um, vibrant, but still emergent, really, and and we want to see it keep growing year on year. It's growing at a rate of 4.3%. And we, we really need to support our Indigenous businesses because they are having a multiplier effect on communities and on historic dispossession and growing great wealth uh, in their own families and, and distributing that out into communities via a whole range of, of different actions, including, um, uh, well, we don't really know from the data, but from my work with Indigenous businesses, you know, mentoring, scholarship, 
scholarships, um, sparking new ventures. I was just yesterday with a bunch of Victorian Aboriginal businesses who were talking about all sorts of ways in which they are transparently giving back to their own communities and, and through their firms. Michelle Evans there from the University of Melbourne. Now there's high demand for skilled jobs outside of metropolitan cities. The Regional Australia Institute says more than 66,000 jobs were available in March in regional towns and cities. That's an all-time high. For more, I spoke with Kim Hofton, the Chief Economist at Regional Australia Institute. Kim, demand for regional workers in Australia has hit a record high. Why? Yes, we're over 66,000 jobs being advertised on the internet uh, in March uh, across regional Australia. Look, I think it's a combination of a few things. There was steady growth uh, pre-COVID, uh, and I think that, that COVID has been a bit of a, a hiccup along that path for that growth coming back strongly. Now, it's been supported by two main factors, I think. Agriculture has been, been strong. The rains have come back to lots of eastern Australia, and that's built, brought a lot of confidence to, to, to many regions. But also, I think regional employers have realised that the, the COVID hit to regions was much less than it was in the cities. And I think now that it's becoming pretty clear that we, you know, in, in regional Australia, at least, the, that the path out of COVID is, is, is a pretty solid one. I think that's giving people a lot of uh, in, in encouragement to invest in their businesses and so they're looking for staff to make those investments pay off. What kinds of jobs are in demand? Uh, it's a real mix, but predominantly we're seeing this, this again, after the COVID hiccup, this continuation of this trend over the last decade or so for, for high-skilled jobs to be really driving job demand in regional Australia as well. So these are not labouring jobs. I think overall only about 25% of the jobs are, are low-skilled jobs. The vast majority are skilled trades, professions, uh, and sort of semi-skilled trades uh, and other occupations. So a lot of high-paying, a lot of well-paying jobs in regional places are what's on offer at the moment. And if you couple that with, you know, kind of the lifestyle benefits and the generally lower cost of housing in regions, it's a pretty good package. So how do you attract these people with the skills necessary, though? Because are you looking for internal migration? Will, will that help? Or do you really need the international borders to reopen? Uh it's a really good question. I think, you know, ultimately a lot of us would like to see uh, the, the return of a, of a much richer set of uh, post-school learning, vocational training and learning in regions that, that really has been run down over the last couple of decades. So there's this issue about, you know, can we grow our own workforce within the region, skill people up for the jobs that employers are now looking for? If you can't do that, of course, you've got to bring people in. Um, we have a campaign at the moment called Move to More, which is about encouraging city people to consider taking a job in a, in a regional place and, and picking up the benefits that that uh, that, that brings. But I think the other thing that we're seeing really at the moment is really tight point, I think, because we're realising how important that migrant workforce has been in regional Australia. You know, we, we talked initially in COVID about the, the problem about you know, vacant rental vacancies in the cities, which were, you know, when that, uh, that's, those sort of international borders closed. And we, and we thought, I think we thought about migration as primarily a city-based thing, but what we're seeing now is employers all over the country, all over regional Australia, saying they can't get the workers that they need. And it's across the skills spectrum as well. So from labourers through to nurses, through to carers, uh, through to pharmacists. And, and I think we're just realising now how important that flow of migrants has been to regional Australia as well as to our capital cities. Kim Hofton there from the regional Australia Institute. Now, the S&P 500 in the US hit a new record overnight amid positive results from the likes of Amazon, from Twitter and Atlassian, capping a good earnings season for technology companies. So is there still value in those types of stocks, both internationally and here in Australia? For that, I spoke earlier to eToro's Josh Gilbert. Is there still growth left there for investors in these tech names, both internationally and locally? And what should investors look out for? 
Yeah, so I think we expect earnings to, to sort of keep increasing, um, as I mentioned. So in terms of expectations, we are sort of seeing you know, an uplift there that's sort of continuing to rise. I think these Q1 results um, are obviously at the moment beating expectations and you know, GDP outlooks further improve uh, you know, as we sort of see further vaccine rollouts. Obviously, it's going tremendously well over in the US. Maybe a little bit slower here, which may dampen the sentiment slightly in terms of overall sort of outlook for um, expectations here, because without that vaccine, you know, you still sort of have that um, sort of overhang of maybe a bit of fear um, that something could break out at sort of any point. Um, but expectations, as I say, are, are strong. 24% um, earnings growth over the next year is what we're expecting to see. As I mentioned, the strongest sort of GDP recovery recovery in, in the last 30 years, which is obviously driving those earnings. Um, at the moment, I think we'll begin to sort of see cyclical stocks really catch up again. Um, they've underperformed for for sort of quite a number of years now, um, whereas the sort of the tech sector has sort of really come through and, and taken over. We can already see this starting to happen. Uh, we've seen the financial sector so far year to date has performed really well and, and outperformed sort of that broader market. I think tech will remain um, supported by its growth outlook. Obviously, some strong earnings expectations going into the rest of this year sort of really match up against valuation. So there's a big focus on, okay, are we looking at stocks that are overvalued, undervalued, or maybe trading at a fair value? So I think there will be some tech names that start to lose a bit of steam, a bit of momentum, if you like. I think, as I mentioned, those big caps seem to be pretty unstoppable at the moment. Um, Apple, Amazon continuing to sort of really drive uh, the market with just you know outperforming uh, month after month and each sort of earnings uh, that they sort of produce. But as I said, I think those cyclicals will sort of come back in. Um, consumer discretionary, so automakers, apparel, restaurants, you know, even energy, which has done really well again so far year to day. We expect that sort of sector to lead the market performance throughout the rest of the year, pretty much. Um, and that's due to mostly stocks being pretty sensitive to sharp you know, economic recoveries um, and also higher bond yields as well. You know, we'll see um, money sort of move out of tech much faster. Um, then we would see those sort of value stocks in the cyclical sector if we do start to see bond yields rise once again. Josh Gilbert there from eToro and those gains on the US share market didn't translate here with the S&P ASX 200 down 0.8% to 7,025. The banks and miners dragging the market lower. So for more, I spoke earlier with Elizabeth Tian from Citi. Liz, the market is down today despite a record on the S&P 500 in the US overnight. Why? Yeah, marketing a little bit of profit taking. It's obviously um, end of the month. We're going to a quiet period. Asian markets into you know the holiday period next week. Offshore, though, there's a lot of you know fiscal packages being announced. The Biden administration announced another 1.8 trillion social package on top of the early infrastructure package. And of course, early in the week, comments from the Federal Reserve they're going to continue to lend monetary support, fiscal stimulus. We saw great GDP numbers coming out from the US. We've seen more than half of the companies on the S&P 500 beat analyst expectations. So that bodes well for the market going forward. Okay, let's talk about what happened locally. AMP AGM out today. What came out of it? Oh, okay. So share prices again softer. I mean, that's been a very hard road for shareholders of AMP, which has seen its share price erode by nearly three quarters in the last three years. Key highlights really 
ongoing saga with the, you know, the breakup of the company. You know, it's been trying to sell the private capital markets division. There's been no announcement as of yet. The question for shareholders really will be, when this sell finally comes through, which will take quite some time, you know, how many assets are going to be left? We're going to, we've already seen other companies like Dexas try to pick off funds. We've seen some of the key staff resigning, AMP having to pay bonuses to retain its key staff despite not paying dividends to its shareholders. That's obviously, you know, lending a lot of tension between shareholders and the AMP shareholder board. I mean, light in the tunnel potentially for the shareholders is that we've got the appointment of the new CEO, um, Alexis George. She comes, you know, well-regarded deputy CEO for um, ANZ. So hopefully we see the share price start to uh, pick up. Bank reporting season starts next week. Westpac first. What are you expecting? Look, banks have had a really good run, Ricardo, as you've seen in the last 12 months, and we've been actually quite positive on the whole sector. Having said that, though, with the strong runs in the last 12 months, we are starting to be a bit more cautious, um, pairing back our call on the sector to a more neutral stance. Now, what shareholders will be looking out for is the announcement of some of these bad debt provisions. You know, early on in the pandemic, a lot of the banks were very cautious. They were expecting bad debt to be a lot worse than what we've seen. We've seen the economy recover very well. We haven't seen a fiscal cliff with, you know, job keeper, job seeker ending. And that's been, that's been reflected with strong economic numbers and bad debts, loan provisions. The, the ones that have been frozen, that's at less than half a percent of the millions of loans that were frozen beginning of the year. So some of the banks announced that, oh, actually, sort of those provisions, we were, you know, much too conservative and they released that back into the earnings. We could see a big pickup in earnings results. Elizabeth Tian there from City. That is SBS on the money for this Friday, the 30th of April, 2021. I'll be on Monday and Tuesday, so your next podcast and live stream will be out on Wednesday. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at ricardo. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision. (laughs) 